This is Back to Debbie, the more professional Debbie podcast brought to you by CampusCanon.com, where our hosts don't skip their duties to Hulu and YooHoo, Amazon Prime and Sexy Time, Disney Plus and Bust, HBO Max and Climax, or Netflix and Chill. We are here for the entire episode. I'm your host, Mike V. This is my co-host, Corey P. And I can't intimidate this accent, uh, but on a special United Nations version of Back to Debbie, we are bringing in a guest, Tim Alb, all the way from Australia, all the way from down under, joining the Canadian and the American do world to solve all of the world problems right here on this episode <laughs> right now. But we are talking today about advanced metrics, analytics. Let's introduce our guest. It's Timothy Alb. Tim, please say hi. How are we doing? I should say we've uh, we've had to juggle some time zones to time this up, but um, I'm glad we've got it worked out. Yeah, we're glad we got you on. I know we're not the first ones to try to get you on, but we are the first ones to successfully get you on. I think that speaks volume to how much of influence we are. We're influencers, Corey. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's what it's eight well eight thirty in the morning for me. And, or no, 7.30 in the morning for me, 8.30 for you guys, and 10.30 at night for Tim right now. So we've really juggled and found our, our our prime time to get this done. Yeah, As always, we will be going over two player profiles from the 2023 draft. But first, Corey with the news. Uh, yeah, it's been a little bit slower through the Easter weekend. Um, we are recording early to accommodate our international guests. We're recording on Monday morning here. But we'll start over at Florida. And... Uh, They haven't produced a lot of NFL wide receiver talent as of late, but uh, true freshman wide receiver Andy Jean over there is apparently making a big impression, as well as senior wide receiver Xavier Henderson, who the Debbie community has been kind of waiting for for a while now. One of those size speed freaks who kind of suffered under Florida's offensive production, you know, probably need to refine his craft a little bit as well. But he actually wasn't in year one zero either. So we'll talk that one away as well. But heading over to Ohio State, another old name is making headlines again with former ASU running back turned OSU linebacker, then turned back into running back. Chip Trainum has been making a lot of noise during camp so far. He apparently ripped off a 70-yard touchdown in one of the practices and continues to flash um, throughout the week as well. Heading over to Louisville, where your guy, wide receiver Kevin Coleman, has been flashing a little bit, as well as Jamari Thrash. It looks like those who are the leaders of the wide receiver room right now. So if anybody wants to target that new system over there, those are the two guys you should probably be looking um, heading over to Penn State, where we have former Minnesota running back Trey Potts has transferred over to Penn State to be their uh, third back this year, I guess, which is kind of a weird move. I, but I know Potts is from around there, so I guess that part of it kind of makes sense. Should open up the backfield over at Minnesota as well. Um, heading over to Boise State, which isn't a school you're going to hear us talk about very much, but their sophomore running back, Ashton Genty, friend of the company, exploded in their spring game this past weekend to the tune of 176 yards and three touchdowns on just five touches overall. You know, Genty is one of the few G5 running backs that we actually have ranked in our Debbie run, uh, rankings right now. So definitely a guy you should kind of be keeping an eye on in that lower level of competition. Um, heading over to Alabama. Um, the QB competition between Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson is reportedly still close, but Jalen Milrow has apparently looked good all spring and, in my opinion, probably walks in as the day one starter. And then you also have uh, the two guys consistently being mentioned after Ja'Cory Brooks and Jermaine Burton at wide receiver are Malik Benson and Isaiah Bond. So those two guys probably fighting for that wide receiver three role right now. I know a lot of guys are hopeful it's going to be Malik Benson, but Isaiah Bond is making a pretty big push as well. Um, heading over to Ole Miss, um, quarterback Jackson Dart being quoted as easily one of the most improved players this offseason. 
Um, and wide receiver Jalen Knox is kind of emerging as the wide receiver one there. He is a six-year senior, so I don't know how interested we should really be in him, but he did just come off a six-catch, 106-yard, and two-touchdown performance in their last scrimmage. Still not a lot of mention about Chris Marshall, although um, he was out during this latest scrimmage, so we still got a long way to go to see if he can make an impact, but still relatively quiet around that front. Um, heading over to Georgia, we've got another tight end uh, getting buzzed out of Georgia with Pierce Berlin and Brock Bowers both out right now. It's true freshman Lawson Lucky who's been getting rave reviews at a camp right now. So another tight end coming out of tight end you to keep <laughs> to kind of keep your eye on there. And last but not least, heading over to Miami where uh, sophomore quarterback Ja'Curry Brown is reportedly up to 225 pounds and has reportedly taken a big step forward this year, flashed during last week's practice, throwing and passing the ball. And the guy on the other end of that who's been flashing as well is true freshman wide receiver Nathaniel Joseph, who was on the receiving end of a 65-yard bomb thrown by Ja'Curry. These two guys have been talked about as probably the most uh, impressive offensive freshman uh, in camp this spring. So if you guys want any more spring news, uh, be sure to keep it locked on the C2C podcast and YouTube channels and check out our very own Matt Bruning as he keeps you up to date with his spring reports. And be sure to head over to campuscanton.com and become a member today if you aren't already. We've already rolled out the one-of-a-kind freshman supplemental guide. We have the Debian CFF guides coming your way this offseason. There's loads of offseason content over there covering the draft, covering the spring. So get over there now and become a member and get the leg up on all your league mates. I do want to go back to Andy Jean, a uh, true freshman wide receiver at Florida. I just want to say this because I didn't hear anyone really mention it too much. Uh, his off-season training program was with the same wide receiver coaching staff as uh, Amari Cooper. And Amari oh, Cooper gave him like a special shout out like on his Instagram story. This is like months ago. But I remember him like he's like literally in the mall. And I, he probably stopped <laughs> a phone call with like, the wide receiver coach was clearly talking good about him, like behind his back. Wasn't in front of cameras being like, yeah, Andy Jean's the next guy, you know, but it's like genuine when you know it's like if he's talking to his friends, being like, yeah, Andy Jean's great. So I think Andy Jean might actually be the real deal here at, at yeah. Florida. Yeah, I mean, he isn't a guy that I've looked into very much, but he has had a lot of reports coming out. And I mean, eventually things got to get turned around over there in Florida. And we've got to see yeah. some wide receiver talent coming out of there eventually. <laughs> I, I thought he looked technically refined, but like athletically. Un, unimpressed that's yeah, yeah. david bell so nice to kind of aiden mazel who is an athletic freak yeah yes, uh, yes. But less I, like, refined. I like mazel quite a bit but I'm, I'm always a sucker for those size speed freaks i really am yeah when we get developed you'll have a high ceiling let's let's yeah. get into our 2023 player profiles we're talking about two wide receivers today we're going to talk about at perry and parker washington let's start off with at perry he's six foot three 198 pounds originally listed at six foot five so I guess he's single on Tinder lying about his height, but that's all right. Uh, he's 81 receptions for 1,100 receiving yards, 11 touchdowns. Tim, could you give us some advanced metrics, some analytics here on A.T. Perry? So I guess the first, well, one of the ways I've been using to look at wide receivers, especially over the last 12 months or so, is clustering them into different groups based off their, their play style. So essentially using... Metrics mainly from PFF, um, like slot rate, screen rate, average per target, contested catch rate, et cetera, to, to put them into different molds. And I think A.T. Perry, he, he kind of comes into that same mold as like George Pickens or Gabe Davis, really downfield contested catcher um, cluster. 
And this is just from numbers. This is not from looking at him at all. Don't ask me what he looks like on film because I can't answer <laughs> that question <laughs> unless it's um, a sick edits highlights and that's it. Um, he's a five-year player, so that kind of does make you think why. Um, we do like early declares being three-year players. Um, so he's a five-year player. Not sure why. Um, it's kind of not the be-all and end-all, though. Uh, especially I think once you've been drafted outside of day one and day two, it, it matters less how many years you've been in school. And I don't really know whether he's going rounds one to three, to be honest. He kind of took a year, until year four to produce. He didn't really get starter snaps until year four, so 2021. Um, but once he did start playing starter snaps, he was, he was pretty good. So I had a 25% targets per route run in year four and 30% in year five and 30% is elite. That's really, really good. Um, and same with the yards per team pass attempt. By the time we got to year four, 2.49, and year five, 2.31. And usually we're kind of looking for, yeah, 2.4, 2.5 by the time a player gets to year three to year five. So I'm okay with that. It would have been good if he got up to three. That would be really, really good. But, hey, 2.5 is all right. So I'm a little focused on some metrics here, like two yards after reception. Like his yak is pretty low. He's only got five missed tackles for us. And and I watched the film and I actually agree with um Tim here. He's 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 a jump ball contested catch guy for me. And a little more concerned when those guys aren't like naturally physical. He's not a very his physical is like it's not really a part of his game set. He's not out there bullying people the way George Pickens is. It doesn't really seem to be a part of his game. So I, I don't really view him as much of an NFL asset here. I do see in mock drafts just a random burst uh, these last like two weeks where he's getting some like third round buzz, which is interesting to me. Like he certainly has a production profile for that. Absolutely. But he just doesn't offer anything after the catch for me. And I, I think he does have some great hands. And I, I thought it was good that he came in at six foot three, 200 rather than six foot five, 200, like six foot five, 200 is, is slender man. Like you're, you're Ninko Malieva. So, so I'm, I'm, I actually like that a lot better that he came in at six foot three, two hundred. But he still doesn't really play physical, so I'm really not interested. I, I'm sure he makes an NFL roster. I'm sure he gets drafted. I'm more positive it's it's early day three, mid day three than it is day two. Yeah, I had always kind of given him a pass a little bit when watching him for a little bit of the lack of separation. I felt like I saw a little bit of lack of short area quickness because I kind of assumed he was a 6'5", 200-plus pound receiver, right? Coming in a little bit under that 6'3", under the 200-pound mark, um, mark, still a fairly lengthy build, but it does raise some concern to me how he's going to gain separation in his routes. Um, this guy is a little bit more physical in the beginning of his routes to gain his separation as well. Not a guy who can throttle down quickly, change direction, have to wonder kind of how that play style is going to translate to the next level. But I will say he does some nice things. He does like, he does a nice job coming back to the ball. He stays active during the play, like before the catch, you know, makes himself an easy target for the quarterback. Um, Shows a bit of a release package. I actually um, didn't realize how much of one he had. He actually faced a decent amount of press coverage, Um, has some snappiness to him in that, in that area. Um, But he, Really, he's a long strider type. Um, kind of builds up speed down to the feet down the field. Tested a four point four seven forty, which I was kind of surprised at. I did not think he was going to hit under four five, but I'm not sure. Four seven or four four seven. Four four seven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He did yeah. say four seven, but you meant four four seven. Sorry, I meant four four seven. Which, yeah, again, a, a number I was kind of surprised. At. I thought he was going to be more above the four five area. Um, I do wish for a guy of his play style that he was more consistent at the catch point. 
Um, 10% drop rate over his career, 20 career drops over the past, um, uh, over his career at 17, just over the past two years alone, which like Tim was talking about, that's really when his place to his, his playtime picked up. So really the more, um, targets he was getting, the more he was dropping balls, he, he was dropping easy balls too, which maybe could point to a concentration type thing. So we'll see if that can get fixed at the next level. Um, but this is also just a guy who's not going to threaten you after the catch absurdly low yak numbers, just like, um, Mike was saying, Average over three yards after the catch for his entire career. So this was like a catch and fall guy, position guy, pretty much. So we're pretty much looking at a, a singular role guy, an outside possession wide receiver, can run those digs, comebacks, fade routes, um, can hopefully win with some kind of regularity, has some traits that can make you appear on Sunday, but his overall lack of versatility um, has me questioning if he's ever really going to be a fantasy asset, more of like a good, a, a nice depth wide receiver for an NFL team. So he's outside my top 15 wide receivers right now. Not someone I see myself uh, taking very many shots on, unless maybe he gets surprising capital. And it's like a fourth round draft pick in like the dynasty or rookie mocks or whatever, or uh, rookie drafts. Sorry, guy, Mike. Oh, sorry. I only really get interested in those contested catch guys when they get paired with like specific quarterbacks. Like I think about Devonte Parker and um, yeah, Fitz Magic there because uh Devontae Parker's a contested catch specialist, but his catch rate with Fitz Magic, who just you know yellows the ball, just slings it and says, you know, F it, he's down there somewhere. Yeah, his catch rate was 92% that year, which is just insane and astronomical. And that was his one great year in fantasy. Um, but yeah, I think those guys with that skill set need to be paired with a very specific type of quarterback. Uh go on, Tim. Sorry, you mentioned that he you kind of saw him as a contested catch and fall down guy. Um in the clusters that I've made, the title of his cluster is downfield, not open, then fall down. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. High average depth of target, high contested catch rate, yeah. or high contested target rate and low and low yards after the catch. Yeah, I mean, and it's always good when you see the film and numbers line up that way because we're pretty much seeing the same player here, which feel, makes me feel pretty good about the evaluation. Right, yeah. Let's go on to our next guy. Let's talk about Parker Washington, Penn State wide receiver. He came in at 5'10", 204, that nice stout build. Uh, his stats this year were 46 receptions for 611 yards and two touchdowns. And I'm Tim. I'm going to throw it to you again to talk about those numbers. Yeah. So, like, uh, I want to start with his size here. I don't really care about size. So, 5'10", 204. It's actually a nice size. <laughs> A lot of people freak out once you see 5'8 or 5'9, but 5'10 should keep everyone appeased. 204 <laughs> pounds should keep everyone happy as well. So no one should be coming at him from a size perspective. Yeah. <laughs> um, again, talking the clusters, he he had a really high percentage of your targets come from the slot. So he was clustered with a lot of the slot names. So AJ Brown, Amon Rasain Brown on the high end, but also kind of Christian Kirk, who... I actually really like as a comp for him. And prior to Christian Kirk's year last year, I would have just been happy to say Christian Kirk, one for one. But after a really good year last year, I prefer to say Christian Kirk light for Parker Washington. Um, I think the thing with Parker Washington was he was a real Debbie darling after his year one. Um, he had a good freshman year. He had a yards per team pass attempt of 1.6. And what we're looking for in a freshman year I mean, ultimately, you just don't want them to have a, a zero, a year one zero. But if they do have a good year, then anything over 1.5 is really, really good. So he was 1.6, so it was really good. But the thing about it, 1.6, it's only good if you're a freshman. It's not good 
in year two or year three. And in years two and year three, he didn't get past 1.8. So, like, that's not good. Right, yeah. Um, so, really, as I talked about with A.T. Perry, you want someone who's over 2.5 and he never got to that that ceiling. He kind of just reached this floor as a freshman and maybe that was just he was playing starter snaps and just got a reasonable amount of the ball and then he never really progressed from there. So, like, I just think he's fine. Yeah. yeah, he's man. He's he exists. He's yeah. All right. he's <laughs> yeah. Um, and you're talking about yards per reception, right? When you say 1.6, you're talking about yards per reception or yards per outrun. Uh, yards per team pass attempt. Yards so which pass. correlate really, really similar to yards per outrun. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so you. So I'm getting a little off topic here before we get back to Parker Washington. So you do you use that as a like breakout indicator for true freshmen? You're like really trying to pitch them next year. If you're looking at that. I'm. Yeah, we're talking more later. I've gotten to the point where I actually don't okay. really care about freshman production. If you had asked yep. me two years ago, I would have, like, especially well, two years ago was when he would have broken out and I would have gone, man, love this guy, <laughs> draft right. him. And now I'll be like, yeah. If they do well as a freshman, it's probably more a component of just being in a good situation, having a light depth chart. Yeah, we'll talk more later because I've got thoughts okay. around Gotcha. Yeah, let's get back to let's get back to Parker Washington here. So for me, he I love the stout build. He's got that pro size. Um, watching his tape uh, going into the year, I thought he was a fine slot player. I, I didn't really know how I didn't really know how to evaluate his technical process. When I watched him, I didn't think it was anything special. But I wasn't sitting there saying that he's a dud either. But I really liked his hands. His hands really popped on film for me a mm-hmm. uh, year or two. I'm making one handed grabs. He, he really showed out to uh, occasionally when Dodson was out. So that was that was also nice to see him step up into the situation too. So you felt really good about him going into the year. I actually remember him being in my wide receiver seven preseason going into the year. Um, they bring in transfer Mitchell Tinsley from WKU, who I thought was kind of an underrated player himself. Um, loves his story, by the way. Goes to Juco, goes to G5, comes like a 1,400-yard receiver, and then he comes to Penn State. Uh, and then he outproduced Parker Weissen early. Uh, and that was a pretty big turnoff for me if you're just narrative hunting there. So I, I, I kind of really didn't like that. Obviously Parker Washington came out on top at the end and the quarterback play is terrible there, but we've seen guys succeed there like Jahan Dotson. So um, he's a slot guy and he's just mad. He's just mad to me. I like, <laughs> I like his hands. The size is awesome. But if there's like, I can't hang my hat on anything. Like he doesn't do anything special. So I, I don't, I, I think this is a guy that will get drafted, but he gets lost in the depth chart pretty early. Yeah, and you and you mentioned play Debbie are gonna overdraft him. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. When for it like comes the whole, to rookie drafts. Yeah, for the whole profile. A lot of people just have trouble letting go sometimes with, with a lot of these guys. But you had even mentioned John Dotson there, Mike, and I think everybody kind of assumed he was going to be a big beneficiary of the vacated production that Jahan Dotson uh, left last year, even though, you know, Jahan was an outside guy and he's an inside guy. But again, we saw we saw him dip in production from the previous year when Jahan Dotson was there. You know, very slow start to the year. Picked it up a little bit down the stretch as well. He did end up finishing as their lead wide receiver, like you said, but still only by a little bit. Tinsley was right on his ass. Um, um, he's just a guy for me, at least who's been a guy with some traits that I really like. I just don't feel like it's come all together, right? He's got the stout build. Um, I do think he needs to refine his route running, but 
I see like quick footwork. I see the ability to change direction. I, I I believe there's tools there to develop into a pretty good route runner. I just think he needs some more refining still there, like more learning how to de- deceive, learning how to sometimes it takes too many steps. Sometimes it's not enough steps. Sometimes it's too subtle. You know, there's things that need to be refined there, but I think he has the skill set to do it. Um, he's a pretty decent yak guy as well. Hasn't lit like the, the stat sheet on fire there, but does have some make you miss ability for 31 missed tackles over the past two years. That's a big number for a wide receiver. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, which it, which was first in the big 10 over that time period as well over the past two years. So um, show some pretty strong hands too. Like Mike said, there was a few snow games. Um, he had that Michigan snow game like last year where he made like the one kind of catch and like the blizzard. And I was like, Oh my God, like yeah. this dude. Yeah. Yeah. He, he has some excellent, excellent hands. So that's that he, he has this skill set that I think, could become something at the next level. We really didn't get to see him do anything at the combine or pro day. He has an apparent injury right now. I wouldn't say he seems overly athletic, more crafty and quick footed. In my opinion, um, this was a guy who was a 4.57 as a recruit. Um, certainly not a terrible time. Have to expect that's gotten better over some time too, but I, I kind of put him somewhere around that four or five range, maybe high four fours, low four or five range. Um, 90% slot guy over his career. Um, even when a spot opened up outside, they kind of kept him in the slot. But I will say one interesting tidbit, um, the increase in offensive output um, down the stretch that we were talking about how he eventually became slow start. That kick coincided with playing outside a little bit more. He was almost a 45, 55% split down the stretch. So maybe he has more outside skills than he's given credit for. Um, but either way, this guy just seems like a guy, has some ability, has some talent I like, just never fully saw it come together at the college level. I currently have him like 13, why does he were 13, 14, I believe. I think he's an early day three pick. Maybe there's enough there to slip into the back of day two, but that's what I'm expecting right now. Yeah, over the last four years, we've seen an average of 15 wide receivers drafted between day one and day two. But I truly only have like day two grades on like, I think, 10 or 11 guys. Uh, but mm. so, you know, and then there's always some super fast. Guy. It's going to be Trey Palmer's here. There's always a super fast guy that slides up a little bit higher than he I should. Like be. Yeah. yeah, he's my wide receiver 11. I moved him up a little bit, too. Actually, I, I revisited his film. I have to apologize to the Cornhusker fan base. They really came at me for my initial ranking. <laughs> I think they're actually right. But anyway, um, let's get into it. Let's get into analytics. Uh, We want to start off with the real basics. We want to break it down. We want it so that every listener can follow along and understand uh, what is advanced metrics and how analytics plays into the fantasy world and, uh, you know, going from high school to college and college to the NFL. Um, And actually, I just I want to share a little bit of a story, a little bit of story time here about the military. Uh, the term in the military was break it down Barney style because, uh, you know, they want to make it super simple for everyone to understand. And then, you know, some 50 year old officer would get up and use about 2000 acronyms that nobody would understand. And I wouldn't understand them either, even though I'd be in the, like, the military for 10 years. <laughs> That's just how this stuff happens. So anyway, Tim, I need you to break this stuff down Barney style for everyone. I need you to speak slowly and clearly so, <laughs> so that we can all get it because us film watchers might not really get some of these metrics man we might not we just don't get it i mean you see the debates on twitter film versus analytics it happens every off season people will be hopping down each other's throats so for the people for the dummies and simpletons such as Corey and myself wh- what do you mean when people say advanced metrics do you need me to speak clearly and slowly because of the topic mike or because of my accent or a bit of both yeah <laughs> a little the, bit the of accent, both yeah. the accent that both of you are faking i know the whole world <laughs> It's just faking their accents to fool with Americans. I know this is true. You guys be smiling, but I know you guys are just faking it. 
<laughs> I think I think the first I, I think of analytics or advanced metrics really simply anyway. Um, it's we're really kind of thinking probabilities and all advanced metrics is or all metrics are is capturing what you see on film anyway um not all of it of course quick feet blah 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 strong hands whatever um but ultimately someone you see someone they catch the ball they run 10 yards they fall down that just comes up in numbers I think the first thing to mention, especially when we're talking about people on Twitter talking advanced metrics or analytics, the thing, my real bugbear is when I see how confident these people are. They're so, so confident. It's like, well, the numbers don't lie. This is what the numbers say. This is what my R squared says. But really, if you are thinking analytics, you're really acknowledging the, the uncertainty and the error that can that these models can throw up and a lot of people don't get that they they see i don't use breakout age anymore but once upon a time i did and they say an 18 year old breakout age this person there's no chance they can bust and we're now kind of seeing kayshawn bute who's <laughs> going to come into this year's draft that one hurts um, that one hurts yeah <laughs> it does hurt. It brian does hurt. edwards broke out at 17. <laughs> yeah it, it's a good point but people just have so much confidence um I think the difference for me between just standard metrics, yards, carries, touchdowns, and kind of the more advanced metrics is when you then start to control for team environment a bit more. So pace of play, uh, volume, run pass splits. Um, so someone who gets a lot of yardage on a low volume offense is accounting for a lot more of that offense. And so it's really we're kind of looking past that box score scouting really it's just kind of taking that next step past those box score numbers and really keeping an open mind that you can be wrong there's a famous quote and i'm going to get the name of him wrong i think it's george box and he's got a quote of all models are wrong some are useful and that's a really nice quote i think if you just acknowledge that every single model you ever see <laughs> it's wrong it's not perfect uh, no, Time. I think that a large, a large misconception with analytics and like you're talking about the certainty and stuff like that is that people like you were talking about with probabilities, we're just with analytics, you're just trying to increase your probabilities of hitting guys, things we've seen in the past, the trends that we've seen in the past that tell us we should be betting on this type of player to maybe get. But still, I mean, like you were, we were talking about before a show, some of those hit rates are still only 30 percent, 40 percent. It's just better on the other side, like it, trying to look at all these outliers, it, it's really in the realm of just not betting on outliers. We're just trying to hit probabilities, you know? And I, the thing with analytics too, that I, that I, I kind of like sometimes, especially with these advanced analytics is like for a guy who doesn't watch film, you could kind of look at these advanced metrics nowadays and nowadays and get a pretty good feel for what type of player you're actually looking at. You know, whether it's a high contested catch rate, low yak yardage, like we're talking about with A.T. Perry. Well, that's a possession wide receiver or talking about a guy like, um, Parker Washington, who we saw the slot numbers, and then we see a little bit of increase on, on the outside. So it's like, well, maybe this guy has some ability on the outside that's untapped. So, so it kind of feeds into a lot of um, what the player looks like and, and stuff like that. So I kind of like where advanced metrics are going in that sense. Yeah, I do like too with numbers is that it adds context. And I, I love adding context to everything. I'm trying to, you know, we try to talk about the coaches. When we're talking about players, talk about their schemes too, and, and, and their internal environment, because not all, 
I don't know how to make this sound like less messed up. Not all yards are equal, you know. Like yeah. catching six, six, catching six hundred yards with a quarterback that only throws two thousand is a lot more impressive than catching six hundred yards with a quarterback that throws four thousand yards. So it, absolutely, it, but even yeah. taking that to another step, um, catching six hundred yards with a quarterback that throws fifty percent completion percentage compared to a quarterback that completes eighty percent of their passes as well, and the con- all yards are not created equal and this is why we've got rush yards over expected models this is why especially in the pros we've got completion percentage expected models we've got yards after catch expected models um if a player catches a ball and they've got a bucket load of separation they're going to be expected to get more yak than if someone is hovering over them and for example Yards uh, after contact, over, sorry, yards after catch over expectation. George Pickens in the NFL was the lowest for the year. All these catches, they're all just these contested balls and he falls down mm-hmm. uh, compared to someone like Debo. He's getting lower dot passes and he's open, his scheme so open. And so it's not just that his yards after the catch is really high, his yards after the catch over expected are really high as well. So no, they're not all created equals. I'm really glad you made that point, Mike. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned R earlier. I want you to tell us just what what is R and just just real basic. What is what is R? Yeah. <laughs> Good question. It depends what context. Sometimes you see uh, just related to the coding program or the coding language um, that a lot of analysts use. Um, so there's a few out there, but generally what you will see is in the context of. Um, some person on Twitter, it's funny, JJ Zacharyson mentions it a lot. And I know he laughs of how often he mentions my model. I'm so sorry for always mentioning my model. <laughs> uh, but they'll talk about my model has an R of whatever. The technical term is we should actually probably be using R squared. Um, so R is just a, it's just a measure of correlation, essentially. And so if you've got a whole data set of matching data points, and if they perfectly match up with one another, for example, the overall number one draft pick scores the most fantasy points per game and the last overall draft pick scores the lowest points per game and every single draft pick in between goes up incrementally, then you'll have an R of one, essentially. If there's no pattern at all, you'll have an R of zero. All R squared is is just squaring that number of R and essentially, that just means that an R squared of 50%, for example, means that one variable can explain the difference in another variable for up to 50% of that difference. You'll see a lot of model R squareds being thrown around in the next few weeks leading up to the NFL draft. And you'll see numbers as high as 50%. And I don't really believe they're at 50%, to be honest. Or I don't think it's actionable. Because the problem with a model that accounts for draft capital is you get a whole heap of easy wins. So the players drafted at the top of the draft, a lot of them are going to hit. And the players drafted in round seven, a lot of them are going to bust. So you're kind of going to get these easy wins from a correlation perspective, which is going to bump your R squared number up. I think a better way for people to do it would be to record on their R squared just from rounds one to three. Um, I haven't actually done that with mine but I, I do think that's how we should be reporting it because I think people get a better guide of how accurate these models are 
But even if you've got an R squared of say 30% or 40%, that's 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 pretty good. That's pretty reasonable. But that still means that only 30 to 40% of the variation in points per game can be explained, which means that 60 or 70% mm-hmm. still unexplained. So that's that's heaps. And this is the uncertainty I'm talking about. A lot of people claim their model to be, you know, undefeated or it beats draft capital, but really all they need to go like, yeah, it works all right. But ultimately, I don't know. There's a lot unexplained there. Yeah, so so I get in layman's terms, looking at R squared, is it just a simple way of saying like like trend chasing? Yes and no. Um so if someone has if someone has we we we're getting technical now. <laughs> When building a model, you should theoretically split your data set into a training data set where you train the model on and a testing data set. So you might do 80% training. And so you build your model on that 80%, which is all historical data. That's correct. It's all historical. And then you test your model on that 20% left over. If you train it on the whole 100%, then you can get what's called overfitting. Um, so, for example, a good example of overfitting is if you look at all round three wide receivers who were early declares who had a high receiving yards per team pass attempt, you pretty much get like three players. You get like Keenan Allen, Chris Godwin, and there's one other. And if you look at anyone else that fits in that bucket, I think Diami Brown just misses out. But leading up to Diami Brown's draft class, you go, hey, he's a round three wide receiver. He was an early declare, and he's got this really good receiving yards per team pass attempt. Mm. But you realise that that sample, it's only, there's only two people in that sample. So you can get a bit overfit. Um, so, but what a lot of people do is they just train it on the whole data set and they just report their whole R squared. But if they've actually split them properly and trained their model properly, then their R squared is going to be lower. So if they haven't split it, then yeah, they're just it's just trend chasing. Yeah, it's yeah. I thought you had a pretty good point there with the small bucket. It just the more variables you add into something, it's kind of like the smaller sample set you get to work with. But I I do like look at trends, for example, and the number of like G five R receivers that have been early declares to get drafted between rounds one and three of the last ten years. It's two. It's Sky yeah. Moore and it's it's Devonte Adams and the number of early declared third rounders in that same. 10 years span there's there's like five there's six of them there's six of them and like that's it so it's it does get like you want to be super specific and then it, you're just kind of looking at just too small of a sample size and like it's, it's like is that a really fine thing special or am i just really fitting to the perfect picture so exactly exactly and or, or just yeah overfitting is a real problem and i think it's a really big problem in the fantasy space i think there's a lot of people who put out models I'm not going to name names because I can't confirm their processes anyway. <laughs> uh, that don't actually understand the basics. And it's taken me a few years to understand the basics as well. Like I, I got into modeling before I understood the basics. So ignore anything I put out, to be honest, ignore anything <laughs> I've put out previously. I'm <laughs> I do look at some of my earlier work and I just like cringe. I remember one of the first threads I made was about Jalen Waddle and I put him down as a late declare. I don't even know why I did that, but I know I read somewhere that he was a late declare, which was, was obviously false. It was false, but um, but yeah, that was kind of embarrassing because I put him down as like wide receiver five, so I had like no shares of Taylor one all that year, so that was pretty upsetting too. I was super low on him 
for most of the draft process until Chris Moxley put out an article. And I was like, oh, man, no, he's really good. But I was too focused <laughs> on breakout age at the time. I think I worked out that if he had, like, 25 more yards on the year, he would have cleared this arbitrary threshold, giving him a breakout age of, you know, year one, and then I would have <laughs> loved the guy. But, you know, he was, like, 40 yards shy or something, and I've learned since then. Yeah. I want to go back to a real basic question. I think we're probably past this, but I wrote it down, so I'm going to ask you anyway. When people say like their R is like 0.38 or 0.37, is that saying that that player has a 37% chance to be, you know, a top 24 wide receiver or something like that? Is that what is that what that number is saying? No, no. So they should be reporting on R squared. They often don't. Um, but yeah, it's saying that one set of numbers explains 38% of the variation in the other set. So, for example, my model score explains 38% of the variation of their points per game in the first three years of the NFL. So if it was 100%, then it's, you know, a one-for-one match. 50% is would be, like, super elite. But then, as I said, you've still got 50% unexplained. All right. Let's, let's get on to – let's talk about the freshman model, right? I, I think – I was talking to Matt, me and Big Wars here, guy. We we DM each other in the chat pretty pretty often. A little quiet lately, but you know we'll, we'll get back to it here when I start looking at freshmen again. Um, did you make the freshman model? Is that correct? No, mine's not. I will for next year. Okay, so I've chatted to Matt about it as well, and he's like, "I just need to leave it to you in the future." <laughs> kind of too late in the process for this year. Um, yeah, I had so much fun doing this and I gave it a crack last year. Yeah. Um, I really liked what I did. And this year I've learned even more and I used some different modeling techniques and I really like what I've come up with. And I still acknowledge the uncertainty and it's all just a crapshoot, really. Yeah. Hopefully it's less of a crapshoot than looking at 247 composite rankings. Can you, can you tell us what variables do you use in the uh, upcoming model that we're going to be using? Yeah, for sure. So there are there is an article out both on the wide receivers and running backs, which are the two models I've done for freshmen. So wide receivers are my favourite across college and NFL. I don't know why, but they are. Running backs just seem too simple. Be big, run fast, <laughs> go this way through a hole. So what went into the wide receiver model was first one was recruiting grade. So I think I did use the 247 composite rating. That's kind of just a good equaliser, similar to how you'd use draft capital for a rookie model. It's just a good, yeah, just a good equaliser to start off with. Uh, and then all the other variables were from big wide receiver guy, Matt's database, which I'm very, very lucky to have access to. Yeah. There's a lot mm-hmm. of manual work has gone into that. So peak miles per hour um, that he's seen on time, tape. Uh, high school production measured across a variety of ways. So fantasy points per game and receiving average market share, uh, age as well. So I think he's just got it recorded as age at the national signing day. Um, And then also the other interesting one, and in the official channel and on the official show, they toss this around a lot, was using high school enrollment size as kind of a proxy for level of competition. Um, It's kind of a way that at least it's, it's all scaled and it's not perfect, but it did show some correlation to success in college. 
And I guess the aim of both models, both the running back and wide receiver models, was to predict college uh, fantasy points per game. So it wasn't aiming to predict NFL draft capital because that is it's a long way away from being in high school. So really the first step to getting draft capital is putting up points in college. And the way I'm going to report on R squared is the correlation is a bit all over the place. So in, for some parts of the model, it had an R squared of up to about 41%, which is really, really, really high, which also makes me think that parts of it were overfit as well. <laughs> we shouldn't trust it all. We should trust most of it, just not at all. But in other squares, sorry, in other aspects of the model or other samples, depending on what sample I tested, the R squared was about 20%. In saying that, the R squared of the 24-7 composite rating to college fantasy points per game was only 14%. So regardless of which way I chopped it up, we're ahead. Yeah, so um, you guys make sure to go to the website, check out his models. He's got them pasted there on or um, posted there as articles as well. Very good stuff there. Um, I was going to ask you how they, uh, what you were aiming for if you're predicting NFL success or college production, but you kind of answered that question. Um, so I will go on to the next one here. Given what you're looking at here in the entire player pool that you looked at, that the recruiting team looked at, are there some prospects that are popping to you that the recruiting team maybe doesn't like as much right now? Yeah, so I guess at the top end, it is everyone kind of likes the same players. So who I did like the most, which, and it looks like I was still higher compared to the recruiting team in the, in the supplemented guide, was Durian Dickey, Cordell Russell, and Hakeem Williams. I think they were three of my top four, or three, three of the models' top four, um, was they're all slightly lower in the guide. And I think lower down the list, the two biggest ones that popped were Tayshawn Lyons from Washington mm -hmm. and Aiden Mazzell from Florida. So they were both wide receiver seven and eight in the model compared to wide receiver 20 and 21 in the guide. So I'm I'm excited to see what they do because I think I think it's the ones that you get at value is where you can really make your money. Yeah, and it's the most exciting too. You like shooting from deep and getting that right too. It's it's pretty exciting. Absolutely. All right, let's go on oh, I to... I think the other one I really want to mention, actually, yeah. because he's not mentioned anywhere. So I'm going to celebrate and just victory lap so much if he does anything in college. Receipts, there he you go. He wasn't even mentioned. Yeah. He wasn't even mentioned in the supplemental guide at all. Anytime I've tried to mention him in the chat, it's just got ignored. So a uh, little-known wide receiver from Stanford called Tiger Buckmeyer. Oh, he yeah, yeah. completely unranked. Um, and the model had him as the highest wide receiver outside the top 250 and came in at wide receiver 13 overall. I highly doubt he does anything, especially in the NFL, but come on, it's gone to Stanford. How hard can it be to produce at Stanford? <laughs> <laughs> well, when you got Tanner McKee at quarterback, it's tougher yeah. than it really than it looks. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's really good at hiding people over there. Yeah. Um, Tiger, there was someone posted Tiger Bachmeyer's like life accomplishments so far, like on Twitter the other day. Did you see that, by the way, Tim? Did you see it? No, I didn't. I'm gonna see find it and send it to you because it was like this dude cured cancer and all this other stuff. It was, it was <laughs> it like an looks insane. Looks like that other guy. He, it, yeah, he he had an insane list of accomplishments, and I'm like, damn, dude, I'm like almost thirty, and I haven't done any of this shit. And like, <laughs> and his brother's name's Bear. Oh, here we go, Chris K. Plays three instruments, acted in a Super Bowl commercial, rides horses, break dances, flies airplanes. His brother 
Hank plays QB for Louisiana Tech. Yep. His other brother is a four-star 2025 QB called. Oh, Bear. he's that Bachmeyer. Okay, yeah, yeah, I know of him. Yeah. I didn't really, yeah, I didn't realize that was his, his brother. Yeah, that that's pretty cool though. Man. All right, let's get on to it. Let's um, let's hop on over to college. Uh, so we we have we have access to to Jarek's metric plot tool, which I use a lot, and it, it's awesome seeing so many consumers and analysts on Twitter like use our stuff on Twitter. It's actually pretty. It's just pretty awesome. It just speaks volume to the influence that Canvas Scan is really getting here. Um. I mean, you know, like, look at us, man. We got an international crew right here. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but Jerry has a ton of options on the metric tool. I was wondering what metrics that you like to use the most. If you just had to pick a singular one, not group them all together. Yeah. So by position, QB, it's boring, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, me, me and Mike have uh, have argued about this about if there is any any sticky correlations for quarterbacks, like in college at least or whatever. And I, like, I truly believe that there might not be any that you should really hang your hat on. But I'm interested to see if you have anything that can kind of push us in one way or the other. I've heard adjusted yards is the answer, so I can't wait to see. <laughs> yeah. So when I've tried modeling it, I've limited to round one QBs only. Because uh, yep. I think outside of round one, it's it's useless. Rushing market share is really important, but still only applies to kind of one subset of QBs. Like we've obviously had Joe Burrow. I, I don't think Mahomes' rushing market share was that high, but we do know that rushing market share does carry over from college to the NFL. Um, Michael Nelly at Analytics on Twitter, he's looked at that quite extensively so rushing market share is really good but otherwise it's just kind of whatever you want to pick whether it be epa per play uh qbr or yeah average adjusted i think it's net yards per attempt which just accounts for touchdowns and interceptions as well uh tim talk to us about the the next position group too there were some others yeah so wide receivers my favorite um receiving yards per team pass attempt you can't really go past it so I said that fairly quickly, but it is fairly simple. It's literally the receiving yards of the wide receiver per the team pass attempt <laughs> of the team. And so what this is good for is, or why I like it better than dominator rating is it's got an efficiency aspect to it as well. If someone's really inefficient with their yardage, with their yards per reception, then they're not going to score well in it. The downside of it, there's two downsides, I think. One, we don't have publicly available snaps data for college. Um, so therefore, you're kind of banking. Some of these players, like I mentioned Parker Washington before, he may have just had a reasonable yards per team pass attempt in year one because he played a lot of snaps. Whereas there are some players who don't play a lot of snaps but are really, really efficient and really get the ball when they're on the field. So, but that's just that's just something we have to deal with with uh, publicly available data. And the second thing I was going to say, oh, it it also it's impacted on by QB play. It's it's, it's always going to be impacted on by quarterback play. If you've got a really inefficient quarterback, then you're just not going to be able to have as high of a number here. And I think this is a good comparison between someone like Zay Flowers. And like Josh Downs or Jordan Addison, mm. Zay Flowers just didn't have the same quarterback play and so ended up with a lower receiving yards per team pass attempt than Addison or Downs. 
One thing I noticed by talking to you through this episode is one thing I like about your process, at least, is that you're trying to put as much context as you can in numerical value to some of these situations, whether it was poor quarterback efficiency, whether it was poor offensive output. That's some of the things that, you know, analytically, some people just say, oh, we don't add context to the numbers. The numbers are what they are, and they just they just take it at, at face value. Whereas with you, I've noticed here, you're kind of trying to at least add some kind of context to these numbers. You have to add context. And, and mm-hmm. if we just go back to those R squared numbers, like if we can explain 30 to 40% of someone's production, then that's actually really good from a numbers perspective. And then you can use that other 60 to 70% just to add whatever context your heart desires, like sick edits, film highlights, videos, if that's the context you want to add. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like whatever, just add some context. And if you are seeing those people who are super confident in the numbers, just block them. <laughs> um, and then and then running backs what, what's the number one metric you look at from running backs I've kind of settled on breakaway run rate I think is Ooh. my favorite okay and for those who haven't heard what breakaway run rate is there's a few ways you can you can do it you can just look at the amount of uh, rushes they had over 10 or 15 yards um, for a carry or you can look at 10 to 15 yards higher than their expected rush yards on those play on those plays. And I think this does a good job of looking for those explosive backs who are going to break some long runs, which I think is where you get some of your fantasy points. We don't just want these Zach Moss grinders who can get three and a half yards. You want, you want people to be breaking long runs. Um, I think why I've said it on this. So, I don't, I don't know how deep into the analytics community you two are. I don't know whether either of you follow Tej Seth. I think he goes by Tej Seth, T-E-J Seth. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's with PFF now, but he, he did a study looking. Yeah. He, he, I think he called it explosive run rate, um, but he essentially came out as that, saying that that had the highest correlation from college to the NFL. So given what you just said there about um, explosive rush rate, breakaway rush rate, whatever you want to say. So I take it that you might be lower on guys like if Blake Corum had come out this year or a guy like Chase Brown, who they don't have explosive rush rate. And uh, adding on to that, who are some of the guys that you are higher or lower on in this class from some of these metrics that you uh, described here? Yeah, for sure. So, yes, Chase Brown was very low. Mo Ibrahim, I don't think he came out. Did he come out? Yeah, he's he came out. Yeah. The NFL anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. But Minnesota fans don't come after us. Okay. Yeah, dude. I got Tim, I got put on um locked in gophers for my take on Mo. They did a whole episode dedicated to how I didn't think he was a top 20 player. Um, I like Chabonet. I think he he had a really solid uh explosive run rate or breakaway run rate, however you want to call it, to be honest. Um, Zach Evans did as well. He's got some other weird things going on in his profile. Mm-hmm. Um, Devon Shane, of course. There's this guy out of Texas. I forget. He's been known for a while. Loves mustard. Bijan. 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 Never heard of him, man. Never heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> he he had a really high um, explosive run rate as well. Yeah. So I think Devon Shane, I really like Charbonnet. I really like. I also really like Juice Vaughn as well, but he's more from just a PPR yeah. receiving side. His explosive run weight was 
fine. So from with quarterbacks, you're saying rushing market share uh, plays on for you, at least uh, when you're trying to correlate these guys. Yeah. Are you high, are you higher on Hendon Hooker in this class because of that, or does the age factor in there? I don't. I, I haven't gone and looked at age with quarterbacks, really, and okay. I really think it is. I don't care about age, though, without even mm-hmm. having looked at it. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of Hendon Hooker. He's been really efficient with his arm, too, as well. And I know there's been talk about it's been a bit of a Mickey Mouse offense, but who cares? Like yeah. he's he, he could <laughs> rush. He was really efficient throwing the ball, and like Anthony Richardson, I think should probably be QB one in this class mm-hmm. as well. Um, I've been doing some work on NFL quarterback production, and it's a no brainer. But you really only hit super elite seasons if you've got a significant rushing yardage as well. I have to ask this question too. You mentioned. Rush yards over expected earlier, R-Y-O-E, R-Y-O-E. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. sorry, rush R-Y-O-E. yards over expected. I have a hard time wrapping my head around that metric because I, I'm like reading it and I'm like, ex- who's expecting this? Who's expecting this production? What's the, <laughs> you know, over expected? Now, how do we determine that E? You're expecting it, Mike. <laughs> you're sitting there and you're looking. Well, no, to be honest, though, all right, let's say you are sitting on the couch or I don't know where you likes watch film. You're sitting on the couch Sunday afternoon. you got the, uh, or, you know, Monday 3 a.m. in the morning for me. You've got the, the football up on the TV and a team trots out. They're on, they're on the goal line. They've literally only got one possible yard that they can gain and the other team has come out on a heavy set. You're, not, you're sitting there watching and you know you're not expecting them to rush for a lot of yardage. Compare that to they're on the 50-yard line, it's first down. Or, you know, let's say let's say it's third down. Let's say it's third down and 20. The defense has come out in a really light package. They've got three defensive linemen. They've got one linebacker on the field. Everyone's super spread out. They're in shotgun. You're looking at this play and you're expecting if they were to hand the ball off, the running back's actually going to get a lot of yards here. They're probably not going to get the, the all 20 of the third and 20, but you're not thinking they're only going to get one yard. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard it's that. I, I've, I've, more. No, I mean, I've also heard that there's people, some people out there or some companies, whatever, have different formulas for rushing yards over expected. Like I've heard things like things that go into it are, you know, what that team allows on a per play basis, what that, yeah, what that, what what team does, what their defense allows rushing, what the other team, what the actual team running the ball, how they've done in the past. So like all these things go into how to predict a yard on one play, which seems like a lot to go in, but it's very difficult, I guess, to, to wrap your head around. Yeah. So I, I don't have access. I could ask Jarek, but so Jarek's got a rush yard over expected model. I've got one, but it's really basic. I'm sorry, I trust mm-hmm. Jerry more. But then on the NFL side, again, Tej Seth, he's got one as well. He's got a really nicely written article for anyone that, that wants to read it. And basically from most important to uh, least important variables, yard line, yards to the sticks, expected points at the beginning of that play, defensive yards per carry, win probability, the current down time remaining and whether the team was in shotgun or not. Uh, and so again, that's just using publicly available data. When you get into mm-hmm. companies like PFF who have got more detailed data, 
or for example, next gen stats on the NFL side, they've got a expected rush yards model, but they also take into account number of plays in the box and can actually track based off the tracking dots that they use in the play. So would you say um, that then in that sense that you, like, I know you have your own model though, but because of all the data points in PFF, would you say that that's actually better to use their model? Yeah, I would think yeah. so. I think the, the more data you can use, the better a prediction you can make. I'm going to, I'm going to make my own model over expected for something like missed tackles expected. I'm going to do that. This guy, this guy should have avoided this tackle. I mean, <laughs> as long as you've got, I bet there's there's other expected models as well. So completion percentage over expected models, um, and you can only really make these models. For example, on the college side, publicly available, we don't have access to air yards, and so we can't make a completion percentage over expected model because we need to know how far they try to throw the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a, a, a throw with a higher amount of air yards is going to be a lower expected completion probability. But for example, like you've got players like Geno Smith and Mahomes and Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts. When I looked at the top NFL names in 2022, completion percentage, completion percentage over expected, they were the top names. And you look at the worst and it's Baker Mayfield, Davis Mills, Carson Wentz. Mm. so you do see that it matches up uh let's let's wrap up the college talk here i, I want you to give us uh you know 2023 drafts coming around the corner here can you give us some guys here you didn't high? ask tight end correlation we don't do tight ends on this show <laughs> <laughs> well i wrote i wrote best haircut all right let's hear, oh, yeah, let's, 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 let's hear it <laughs> best haircut what best haircut who's got the best haircut Oh, is that is that the bet? Yeah. The Nets got it. Payne Durham. Payne Durham's got a good haircut. He got a mullet going on, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> Best face grade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we don't talk Denver Guidance. No, there's no there's no uh, point. It's yeah, just yeah. such a wasteland, dude. <laughs> yeah. I no really I really do like if people that put the effort to make that like graphic with their here's my top twenty tight ends in twenty twenty three and I'm like, why? Why are, we, why are we stressing ourselves out over making a list like that? Ask me in two years' time who the best 2023 rookie tight ends will be. Yeah. So, <laughs> but let's let's get on to um the last question of the uh, of this class. 2023 drafts around the corner. Tim, I just want you to give us like a guy that you're much higher on, much lower on. You can do any positional group. Just uh, you don't need to go through everybody, but just tell us who you who are some values that you think are oh, out there. Who who's your guy this, in this class? Hard. I don't have a guy, and not this year. I I don't know whether it's just the class. But I think as I've gotten further with the analytics, I just sit with this uncertainty so much more. So I'm just (laughs) less confident on everyone. I think Boutelé is still too high. Mm -hmm. Wow, Um, that's messed up. End the show. We're going to cut the show (laughs) off right here, dude. You can't believe you just said that. (laughs) I think think in the the mid-second, early to mid-second of – of rookie drafts, I think I think he's at two hundred four currently. I kind of just want all the oh. running backs over yeah. him, or like Marvin Mims. I really like. I just think Marvin Mims' draft capital is not going to be good, and I know we disagree on this, Mike. I know you, you <laughs> would not care for Marvin Mims at all. So I really like Marvin Mims, and we mentioned him earlier. Like Trey Palmer, I'm really really intrigued by. Yeah, he was really quiet for three years at LSU. Yep. but transferred to Nebraska and then just went bananas. And I just think this is a good example of how situation 
and it might even be personal relationships, how they factor into someone's production. And yeah. so the way I'm treating Trey Palmer, rightly or wrongly, is I kind of think of him as a bit of a Brandon Ayuk. If you look at his receiving profile, his first year, like he went to JUCO. I think right. just for all these JUCO guys, like it's not until they they oh well, for example, his first year at Arizona State, it, it wasn't really anything special, but he really needed that extra year. Or well, I think Jamison Williams is actually the best example here, to be honest. Mm-hmm. He yes, he was behind a stacked bunch at uh where was he first? Ohio, Ohio State. Ohio State. Um, but so was Trey Palmer as well at LSU. And then he's transferred and he had an awesome season. So yeah, I think Trey Palmer's gonna be my guy, as odd as that sounds. I've been moving him up. I, every time I saw him in the senior bowl, I started realizing how uh, physical his game was. And, you know, he's he's very fast. And, and like, I think on paper, I view him more as, like, a field stretcher. But given his size, and I've seen him be, like, I've seen him truck dudes over. I'm like, this is not a field stretcher. Like, he offers a little bit more in there. And it's kind of hard to – someone that physical and that fast, like, those two companies usually don't mix. And so I kind of like him a lot. His rounding was super raw, but, like, He's definitely got some really high-end NFL traits, high-end NFL traits. And he did everything for them really last year. He was, like, the only guy that really caught the ball for them last year. Like, there wasn't even – I think he, like, doubled the next highest wide receiver. Yeah, he, he could have caught an extra, like, 300, 400 yards if uh, Casey Thompson stayed healthy too. Like, yeah, he, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I've seen profile could have been better. Uh, I don't think – I don't think you'll hear any analytics guys or data guys like him because they'll talk about his mm-hmm. first three years say well he did nothing and they always love early production but i just don't think i think you've got to provide context and be like but he had the scenery change and he didn't all of a sudden get better from year three to year four like it was something that changed in the scenery around him whether that be relationship with the quarterback or the coaches or i don't know but something changed and he performed at a really 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 high level yeah post postseason i had him outside my top 20 and i just redid mine last night and i, I have him at 11 now so he's been moving up for me I'm constantly stealing my rankings man <laughs> you were there first, <laughs> you were there first. <laughs> yeah. all right let's uh let's get let's get on to it let's tim i've heard i've heard this debate going on on twitter and i just want you to weigh in on it i've heard the debate between looking at like season best versus career average or final season for like analytics and what the base of players analytical like profile off of. And I just wondered if you had an opinion on that because I used to, or I actually, I still do look at final season, but I have some people I trust and friends that are saying career average is the way to go. Do you have an opinion on this debate? Yeah. And I've put some thought into this. So I, I think it really depends on the position as well. Running back, I think just best season Tight end, I think, best season. Quarterback, I think, best season. Wide receiver, I think I kind of more want to look at the average, but I also just think best season. (laughs) (laughs) I think when you see people, like, if you go and look at it, the actual difference in the correlation is there's a bee's dick between each of them, to be honest. Like, you might be having an increased R squared of 1% or 2%. And really, if you throw some error bars around that, it might be nothing. Who cares? Whatever, I don't care. <laughs> so, so I haven't answered your question. <laughs> don't care about it. So if you do use best season most of the time, though, uh, when you are looking at stuff like this, so if you see a guy who has a dip his senior year, that doesn't bother you as much as it would maybe somebody else. 
No, no. So with wide receiver, I really think just best season from years one to three is the best way to play it for the most part until you talk someone like Trey Palmer. Um, (laughs) But otherwise, yeah, no, I couldn't care less if someone has a dip. Uh, Chris Alave is probably a good example. Who Mm. He definitely had a dip in year four. But if you had have asked me after year two or three, I would have said, mate, this guy's awesome. Or even uh, Jordan Addison. And I think the thing with Jordan Addison, like year two with Kenny Pickett, his yards per team pass attempt was sky high. I think it was three and a half or higher than that. Yeah. And then he goes and he goes and plays with Caleb Williams, who is an amazing quarterback. I don't think he played quite as many snaps, but he had a essentially had a change in his scenery. So do you think this is a like per player basis, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like Pickens got hurt. So he really couldn't use like his final two seasons really, or, well, Pickens probably a bad yeah. example, but you you you, did, you said some good examples. There's Addison and like what well, even even Butte, like his year one, people are going to say it's elite. It wasn't elite. It mm. was really good, but really good for a freshman, which I think is where people get lost. Yeah, like yeah, but he's a freshman, and then year two before he got injured, it was decent. It was decent, decent. He but was on a thirteen hundred receiving yard pace. I know it was only five or six games. It was decent. Whatever. No, but I get it. I get what he's saying. Like it wasn't like a hundred <laughs> yards every game and two touchdowns every game. Like he was. I think he blew up in like three of those games. But the other two are kind of like just average. Would you compare so, yeah. it to Jamar Chase's year two or yes, Jason's yeah. year two or Jordan Addison's year two or Josh Downs's year two? Yeah. Like if you compare it to all those year to their year two, Butte's was like it was good. It was it was pretty good, but it wasn't mind blowing. Okay, that's true. I'm looking up right now. Was, well, <laughs> year three was bad. I think yeah. I think this is someone that we can ding for a really bad year three. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, I, I get the concern for injuries. And I do agree too. I, I think I'm taking it more like late second, mid second. Yeah, that's where I'm at boat now. Yeah. So, yeah. You either hit the jackpot or you're losing out 100%. Like there's, yeah. <laughs> there's no in between with him. So uh, let's get on to it. So I, I had a. Uh, I had a few suggestions here. You know, I'm not, I'm not a numbers guy, Tim, but you know, I am, I am cooking. I'm cooking in the kitchen. I'm just cooking up ideas. Fake numbers guy. guy. Yeah, I'm a fake numbers guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm, I'm calling upon United Nations to answer some questions here. We got to help solve some of these world problems here. Now, a lot of the analytical community is, you know, they, they defend their numbers by saying, well, it's objective and not subjective the way film is, and so I was wondering if we could like identify some metrics for subjective categories and just let, let me give you an example here tim if we're looking at like a wide receiver and they're like catch rate versus like a quarterback's completion rate like a quarterback's completion rate 60 percent, but a, a wide receiver's catch rate is like 65 percent. can i be like this guy has elite hands because he's catching more balls than the average of what the quarterback is throwing out just give me your thoughts on that i have tons of more ideas by the way coming up my thoughts that you're you're actually a real numbers guy because really all you're talking here is using expected models because I think from this <laughs> aspect, yeah. I do your favorite, Mike. Your favorite. Dude, catch right yeah. over expected. This is yeah. it. we're padding it. We're copywriting yeah. it. That's 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 essentially it. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I absolutely think if we had the data, you could you could make a catch rate over expected model, which is essentially just. The same as completion percentage over expected, but doing it all by wide receiver or by receiver as opposed to from the quarterback end. 
So do you think yeah, I got absolutely you think we got something going here? Like this could be a thing. Yeah. <laughs> think, yeah. I I think it could be something. The thing is with college, so like publicly we don't have this data. On the NFL side, I could mm. go and do this for you so easily. I could tell you who had the highest catch rate over expected. Maybe I will do that. Nice. Yes, let's go. All right, I let's go. Next idea. We're, we're one from one, baby. Let's go. All right. Uh, this is a very similar with the uh, basic metric of yards. Oh, this is probably over stretch over expected. All right. But anyway, we do like <laughs> comparing uh, yards per carry, like running backs, yards per carry over like contact. Because I think this we can like give me like a, we can now measure how good an offensive line is maybe because people will be getting some pretty pretty fat holes compared to other people. Like Samuel Brown, for example, from Rutgers. That guy has like three yards after contact, but then his yards per carry is like 3.5. So that means like his O-line is creating nothing for him compared to Zach Charbonnet, who I think is almost hitting seven yards per carry, but his yards after contact, I think is also like three, something like that. So his, his O-line is creating some pretty fat holes for him to get through. So again, it sounds to me like you're a big numbers guy and all you're doing <laughs> is explaining if you had all the data, rush hours over expected. <laughs> yeah, Especially if, if, if we had the O-line aspect. <laughs> Because, like, yeah, I guess in all those overexpected models, any number of things to go into it, whether it's after contact or, or game situation or game before script or whatever, or before contact, yeah. after all those things could technically go into a model like that. So I guess, Mike, you should get, you know, creating some models over there. <laughs> yeah, you guys give me some more credit over there. Yeah. <laughs> Mike's um, party, but that's okay. We've been thinking yeah. about these things for a while. Yes. I, I think I'll hang my hat on the... um uh catch rate over expected here we'll put that in the category <laughs> of elite hands and then we'll put the other one over pure rusher uh tim i don't want to put you on personally the... do the catch rate over expected for you <laughs> yeah. for the NFL data I've got. <laughs> okay just don't forget about when you go to sleep all right because i know you're a little sick i need you to or we'll have this recorded so this will work yeah. out <laughs> uh tim i don't want you to put it on the spot here um because i know that you can't ask people certain things tim i want to ask you how tall are you I am depends. Eve, my aunt, depends. Aunt, how tall I am. <laughs> Give me your NFL draft height. I'm my college. My college profile says six foot. My combine says five eleven and three quarters. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. a pretty good set. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wait, I got. I got one last question for you here. Okay. This okay is the I was going gonna... to ask him about short kings, but I don't want him to be biased. And I, that six foot line is pretty important for some. Okay, people. you can ask him about that. I'll ask short him after. Great. Yeah. Short kings are great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay we've we've gone back and forth on that a few times yeah last question for you here tim your analysis how much film do you actually watch as a pure analytic guy like none (laughs) so you're in so your entire evaluation is just entirely off numbers not even a highlight reel like if you want to just better picture it not even a highlight reel he's sick edits a few times but i i won't watch just I bombs tend to, tend to kind of do the numbers first. Yeah. Look at my list and go, all right, YouTube highlights. <laughs> yeah, okay. What I so, do like sometimes for wide receivers, I do like when you can get um, like the every route run or, you know, every snap mm-hmm. feel like that's kind of fun to watch. The but then I also games. just get bored yeah. of it. Yeah. The I condensed can... games. Yeah. <laughs> where they give the little arrow about which, which player you're looking for. Right. <laughs> Guys. <laughs> but no, I, I watch very, very, very little. And like, I think the thing with me 
living in Australia, so college football kicks off at like one a.m. or two a.m. on a Sunday. Oh yeah, that's tough. Yeah. You get you get the Hawaii and games, don't you? I get the whole, no no no. So this is why I love the Pac-12 and Hawaii. It's gonna be like <laughs> yeah, okay. three p.m. in Hawaii against Fresno State. <laughs> that's funny. Um, like so, I can't even during the NFL season. I I don't watch the games that much as much as I w- I used to before I had kids. Before I was timed. Yeah, yeah. The kids. You guys are not. No one really. I don't have kids yet, but no one's convinced me to have kids. I'm getting a lot more arguments not to have kids. <laughs> the, hey, it's the be- it's only the beginning. You gotta you gotta put a lot into it when they're young. But the payoff is later. Oh, you're saying that, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not speaking from experience That's yet. Much. I'm still it's in the a, early stages. Thing I don't watch film. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do want to catch some people a break here. Sometimes with highlights, you can see what they're not doing, like what isn't in the highlight, and that, that I feel like that's kind of got some value to it too. This is also why I like the data as well. So, like the film, you you're just taking snapshots of someone. You don't actually get mm-hmm. the whole. I mean, some people might say you don't get the whole picture with the data. But you actually get every single snap they played. Yeah. And so yeah. in a way you do actually get the whole picture. And so you've got less of a sample size bias with data than I think some people do with film. Especially when you see someone they're like, Yeah, yeah, I um I watched twenty targets of this guy and came to my conclusion. It's like, oh, it's not that much, man. <laughs> I, I truly believe that the proper way to attack it is to use both, at least from my perspective. Like I'm always a film guy. I'd say I'm like 70% film, 30% analytics and stuff. And I don't, I'm not figuring out these analytics myself. I rely on guys like you to tell me what I should know. And then I, I work those into my analysis and stuff. But I truly believe that like, there needs to be a, a combination of both of them to really achieve the evaluation you like. And really, I mean, watching film, it's so hard to watch everybody you want to watch. Those numbers can at least point you in a direction to a player that maybe you should watch or something like that. Put somebody on the board for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just tells me which highlight videos to watch. Yeah. If someone's got boring highlights, then I will be a bit skeptical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Tim, before we get out of here, are you working on any special product projects right now? I just started looking at baseball for the first time. <laughs> that, that's irrelevant. Um, so one thing that I'm looking at from an NFL side is I've been trying to better understand some of the variables that go into predicting pass volume for the future year. Um, and so kind of trying to take a, a more macro look or a, a bigger picture look at who we should be drafting. Um, might not come up with anything, but that's what I'm looking at. And then from the college side uh we well I, I started putting some college fantasy weekly projections together last year which i posted some on twitter and this oh, very nice this season the plan is for them to be yeah quite integrated in the campus to Canton website uh for all four positions offensive positions so i kind of need to put some work into that and really make it solid and yeah reach out to jerick so we can get this code looking nice and get it really automatic and not missing players. I was missing players regularly last year. If they came off mm. a buy, they were yeah. missing the next week. <laughs> In my yeah, projections. Supplemental so, season's coming up. Supplemental season's coming up here. So make sure you get me that cheat sheet so I can see what you're projecting there. <laughs> yeah, I need that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tim, thanks for joining us here today on uh, Back to Devi. And please tell everyone where they can find your work, your Twitter handle, where they can find your writings, all that stuff. 
Yeah, so on Twitter, it's at T-A-L-B-Tree, T-A-L-B tree, and pretty friendly dude. So feel free to shoot me a DM. You can also find me in the Campus to Canton Discord as well, and also the Dynasty Movement Discord as well. Um, so yeah, send me a DM. I'm always really, really happy to chat and share ideas. I'm not shy about sending people spreadsheets. So yeah, just reach out. I like talking about this stuff and like talking to film guys as well so I can supplement this big gap in my knowledge <laughs> so I don't have to watch it myself. Right. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for joining us. That does it today for us here at Back to Devi. If you guys enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating, a review. Only if it's five-star, though. If it's not a five-star, just wait till next week, man. Just wait till next week and we'll, we'll do better. Um, from Corey and from Mike and from Tim, good night and good luck. <laughs>